there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. Are you majoring in political science or government or maybe public health? public policy, or even economics, and you're wondering whether it makes sense to go to work for local, state, or national government, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest recently co-founded a for-profit technology company to help make governments around the world, get this, function at a higher level and achieve greater impact. But before I introduce you to Lisa Witter, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's the weekly newsletter that we blast out on Monday mornings to give you an overview of the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my collegiate cold brewers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my wonderful next guest is Lisa Witter, an award-winning executive, entrepreneur, author, and a regular media commentator and public speaker. Lisa is an expert in politics, policy, gender, leadership, and behavior change. She's the co-founder and executive chairman of Apolitical, a tech startup whose mission is to accelerate the transformation of governments in order to help them tackle the world's hardest problems. And it's currently being used by public servants in 170 countries. In 2018, Apolitical was named one of Fast Company Magazine's most innovative companies in the world alongside Starbucks and Patagonia. Previously, Lisa was Chief Change Officer, I so love that title, and partner of Fenton, the world's largest public interest communications firm in the U.S. Lisa, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm caffeinated. I'm ready to go. I love that energy. And you are joining us today from Berlin, the capital of Germany. And you also spend a huge amount of time on the road, right? I spend a huge amount of time on the road, but very happy to be sitting in Berlin, which I would say is one of the coolest cities in the world right now, full of tech entrepreneurship, alternative minds, great dance scene, techno music, you name it. It's a, it's a really, really cool city to be living in. And so as the mother of two young boys, how much time do you get to spend in the techno scene? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> I love house music and any types of music, but I, I, I do sneak away sometimes and enjoy myself a good night out. Nice, nice. Well, Lisa, before we get into your really impressive career, I would love for our young listeners to learn more about Apolitical, this global network that you've established for governments around the world, including here in the U.S.? 
Yeah, well, apolitical. I, I feel so fortunate to be doing what I love. I have always loved this intersection of politics and policy. Andrea, when I was a little girl, I was born in 1973. That was one of the years that Title IX came to fruition, which for your listeners who don't know, it's a really boring sounding piece of legislation that had monumental impacts that showed itself last summer when the American women won the World Cup soccer title yet again. And what that legislation did is it allowed girls like me, it forced school districts that if they wanted federal money in the United States, that they had to offer the same opportunities for boys and girls. So here I rocked up at school saying I could be an athlete just as much as boys are and was that. My nickname was Animal. I played volleyball, basketball, and softball. And that sense of like competitiveness <laughs> and sense of po- animal, animal. Yeah, I was pretty hardcore. <laughs> and and I loved that. And the other thing I loved doing growing up was being with my grandmother, Doris, who passed away last year. And she took me to church every Sunday. And it was really there that I decided I wanted to be involved in something in my life that was bigger than myself. I'm not religious anymore. But if you combine that love of really helping people and thinking in a really big way about how to make change and winning, politics is what you go into. And so here I am at 46 sitting in in Berlin, and my entire career path has been intersectionally connected to those two things, politics and policy at scale. So Apolitical is a global peer-to-peer learning platform. What we do is we provide opportunities for people inside of government. Now, let me remind people that government is the largest workforce in the world. The average OECD government. So they control more than somewhere between 35 and 40% of GDP, which means these are the people that control the big money. And we help them get the skills, inspiration, knowledge they need to really be 21st century governments. Now, if you think about it, most governments these days are 19th century institutions working with 20th century technology at best with 21st century problems. So really trying to update the operating system and the mentality and really help folks in government be agile. And we really see that government and policy can even be sexy, it could be fun, it could be cool. Okay, well, I got to pick up on that. How is it sexy? Because impacting people's lives, what gets better than that? You know, think about the scale of someone who rolls out a sexual harassment policy or someone who gets to rebuild a railroad that gets people back and forth or someone who takes away all carbon emitting transportation modalities. Like, that's cool. Like helping people's lives, that's a pretty cool job. Absolutely, for sure. Not sure it's so sexy, but definitely. Oh, I think so. Oh, I think so. I think so. So let me ask Lisa, because you are many, many things, but you're not a programmer, you're not a techie per se. Why did you decide, you and your partner, that you wanted to found a tech startup? And you wanted to invest your time and energy into creating this platform. It's a really great question. I've been really fortunate 
And and I really recommend anyone who wants to take on doing hard things that you do it with other people to have an extraordinary co-founder named Robin Scott, who was more of a tech background than I had. She had built and sold a small AI company. Both of us have done some like coding. My parents bought an Apple IIe for me when I was a little girl that cost like $2,000. If you think about that in the 80s, that was a lot of money. So wow. it, it's not like we were strangers to it, but I, you're right, I, I am not a coder. But we looked at two really important pieces. So we knew we wanted to help transform government by helping government transform itself. So be really humble facilitators to that. And the only way you could do something that big is at scale is to use technology in some sort of way. And so we, we knew we needed to build a technology company to get to scale. We also knew that building a technology company would allow us to monetize the business. And why that's important is we've built impact and profit into the same flywheel into our company. So the more profit we make, the more impact we have. The more impact we have, the more profit we make. And so having a for-profit business is not just about sustainability, it's about driving more impact. And you really need technology. It's not the only way, but it's a great way to be able to build products and do that. And I would say for me, it's been a big pain point. I've spent a lot of my life consulting or writing or speaking or thinking. I haven't overseen a product company with engineers before. And we look at lots of lines of code. I'm not in the weeds, but I'm close to the product. Also, why I wanted to do it. I want to stretch myself and learn something new. A hundred percent. And I got to ask you, and we're going to be getting a little bit more into your own personal pain points later in the interview, but just very briefly, Lisa, have you had experiences since getting a political off the ground in which you felt scared? I mean, not like from physical harm, but where you felt like your heart beating fast and thinking like, mm, you know, have I taken on too much? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think you've pushed yourself hard enough unless you've got yourself into that situation. You know, I can think of two instances. One, the first time I was in sort of a heavy product meeting and I had come from being the top of my game where I sat in every meeting feeling like the smartest person in the world when I was living in New York and running Fenton. And I was like, oh, I felt so good. And it was actually at that time that I was like, oh, this is bad. Like when you feel this confident, you're probably doing something wrong, you need to push yourself, which is one of the big reasons why we moved to Berlin is we wanted to stretch ourselves more. And my husband and myself, who was a tech entrepreneur as well. And then always when you're fundraising, you know, you you have runways of, you know, six months, three months, a year. And when when those runways get closer than you'd like them to get to, you get a little knot in your gut. And what I've learned studying science and behavioral science is that that anxiety, you can either see it as a bad thing or you could see it as fuel to sort of drive your performance. And so I try to really mentally take that fear and turn it into a little jetpack to what we need to do. But I, I really think that it's just the normal doing hard things will be painful. And I try to teach that to my kids is I don't get up every day trying to be happy. I get up every day trying to have some happiness, but also have some satisfaction. And that means being scared sometimes. I so love that philosophy. And without intentionally doing that, I have found myself following a very similar mindset, Lisa. And I can mm. tell you that the downside has been that now that I'm on my fourth career, I have felt like, you know, suffering from feeling like a fraud, feeling like, yeah. what the hell am I doing in this room? Because there's been so much for me to learn in different industries that 
while I'm smart, I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room and I've been drinking from a fire hose. So the downside is you really have to have grit to get through those experiences. But the upside is, holy shit, it takes your learning to a whole new level. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately, and, and just just to hark back just for a second, the mindset. I get up every morning and focus on my mindset before I start the day. Like it is not something that just comes to you. You have to work at it. So I have a little journal, and I think about you know I write notes about what I'm grateful for, what I'm going to let go of, what the biggest goal of the day, and where am I? Check in with myself, and before I leave the house, I. I'd say, okay, today's a day where I'm going to be what I call above the line, which is a a phrase in conscious leadership. Like I'm going to go in being curious and open. I'm not going to go out in the world being defensive. And and that's a little bit what you're feeling in this fraudulent, like, you know, like, oh, I got to defend myself because I have to show that I'm worthwhile. And I, I hear you. And what I try to do to balance those feelings a little bit, like while you're swimming in the deep end without any, you know, life preserver is in my role at Apolitical, I've been carving out parts of my role where I don't know and I have to teach myself from from scratch. And then I carve out parts of my role that I know really, really well. And I use that. So for example, I spent a lot of my life as a consultant. So I've changed my role a bit inside the company to be kind of an internal consultant on projects, right? Like I'm not going to come in and be the project manager, but boy, as a consultant, I can be that person from the outside coming in at certain times, providing leadership and ideas and, and running workshops around them. So I try to take the best of the old and sprinkle it into the uncomfortableness of the new. And I find that works really well. What great advice. So as one of Apolitical's founders and the executive chairman, can you take us into a typical week or a typical day and share with us, Lisa, what we would find you doing in addition to being an internal consultant? The part about my job that I love the most and it doesn't work for everyone, is that there really is no typical. Some days I'm sitting in front of a computer and often it's in front of a giant whiteboard and I'm concepting a new product that we're working on or building a new idea out with lots of stickies and a teammate and then we're writing it up on the computer. And so there's a lot of these like create days. And then there's a lot of perform days where I'm out in the world, you know, talking to people about what we do, where I'm running workshops for 200 people where I'm learning from public servants in Oman or in Canada about what they need to make their job work. So for me, there's kind of these inside thinking days and there's sort of these outside doing days. Not that things aren't that quite clear cut. So I spend a lot of time on airplanes. I spend a lot of time in government buildings. I personally do a lot of public speaking at different places around the world. So it's, it's a bit mixed. It's kind of an introvert, extrovert tango I spend. And I prefer the extrovert part of it, but the introvert part makes my extrovert part deeper. Mm. So how do you stay organized and how do you stay focused on achieving the kind of impact that you want to have both as a professional and as one of the leaders at a political As a company, we use something called OKRs, which was made popular by Google. These are called objectives and key results. And what they are basically at the beginning of the year, you set what the big sort of goals are, what your objectives to reach them. And and 
then you go quarter by quarter and you break those down per team. So every day, every single person in our company gets up with a clear idea of what they're supposed to do and how that fits into the larger direction we're going as a company. And that's great. It really helps with decision making, right? So much of what you're trying to do when you're running a business is you have to reduce friction and new decisions to make are friction. You don't have time for them. So if it's not within the boundaries, 99% you're not going to do it. So we have real structured, measurable, held accountable systems that a lot of companies use, like I said, OKRs that are, are very important. For me, I am very... You'll never see me with, without a notepad and a list. One of the pieces of advice I got in my career is the best thing you can do every day is in the morning, write down what you need to do. And at the end, check yourself out about what you did and what you need to do the next day. And I spent a lot of time checking myself and checking myself in and checking myself out. I've tried a million computer programs. None of that works for me. It's that handwritten checking myself in, checking myself out. And what I like about checking myself out is at the end of the day, when I've done everything I can, plus one other thing I do that's really important is I do real-time scheduling. So if you were to look at my calendar for the week, it's completely full. And even if there's a block that says, leave time for spontaneous things, <laughs> I, I block every moment. Like this is when I check email. This is when I go to lunch. This is when I do my reading. This is when I'm going to write this proposal. This is when I'm going to have this call. And that way I can be very accountable to myself and be realistic about what I can get into my day and what I can't. So with real-time scheduling and checking myself, checking in, I stay really, really on top of things. Wow. You are super, super disciplined. Yeah. I think that's from being an athlete. You don't achieve great things unless you're disciplined. And I get a lot of pleasure out of being disciplined because discipline allows for freedom, right? So at night, when I check myself out, it says in my calendar, 6 p.m., check myself out, and I go home to my kids. I, I don't, I'm not spinning. Right? It's all written down. I've done it. And I can just really be present. And that's what happens if you, if you don't do this. You work all the time and you actually don't get to live your life. And it's in those moments of living your life that the ahas happen. And by the way, Andrea, that's your life too. So I don't know how you, you do this unless you are massively disciplined. And I think, Lisa, this also goes to something that you raised in our Espresso Shots episode and check out show notes to see if that episode has already dropped. But you discussed the importance of staying focused and the importance of harnessing energy and how you encourage your team members at Apolitical to take care of their mind and their bodies. Yeah, I mean, it's just not rocket science, but it is brain science. I mean, just look at all the research, right? Like if you don't allow rest, you don't have high performance. Think about all the great athletes. They don't go sprinting all the time. They have to rest. And the mind is like that too. You need time to rest. Uh, martial arts is about this. It's about that moment right before you hit the wood. And so I'm not as good at it all the time. I sometimes can be a bit of a workaholic, but I have found personally for myself, having kids has been this forced 
discipline. So people say to me, oh, when people who take care of parents or have a pet or have children, is that a drawback in hiring them? And I'm like, are you kidding? A, that'd be legal for most instances. But B, no, those are often the most disciplined people because they have to get their work done a certain amount of time and they have other things in their life that bring them pleasure. And so that fullness in human beings. I'm finding this a lot with young people too, that they are not being workaholics, that they're doing things after work like piano lessons or swimming. I never did any of that when I was coming up in my career, but I appreciate that those things can actually add to your performance. Definitely. So Lisa, in your bio, you describe yourself as an autodidact. And for those like me who may have forgotten what that means, yes, I did have to look it up. It means being self-taught. Why is learning on your own so important to you? And lessons for our young listeners, some of whom may have already graduated and think that school and learning is behind them for the rest of their lives are important for them to pursue. Well, I, uh, a little bit of is my personal story and a little bit is just a fact about the state of the world right now. But my personal story is I'm, I grew up in Everett, Washington. I'm the first in my family to go to college. There weren't a lot of books in my house. It just wasn't an interest to my mom and dad. They're amazing human beings. We spent time outdoors and I was the most loved, but knowledge and reading wasn't a big part of our childhood. I remember we had a set of encyclopedias and I would just read them over and over again because I was so precocious and curious about the way the world was. And I went off to college and like I said, I was the first to go and I would come back and my parents were like, oh, why are you going to college? <laughs> you could be getting a good job here. And I decided to go right from college. I was going to go to law school. My mom's like, I don't think law school's for you. And I ended up taking a different path, which we could talk about later if it makes sense. But I didn't go off and get a graduate degree. And I've really decided to take a path that I was going to learn by doing. And when I couldn't learn by doing, I was going to learn by learning. And for the last 25 years, I've probably read 50 books a year. I love it. And now podcasts have come around that I'm addicted to. And it just works for my life to learn in a self-paced way and by people who I respect in modalities that, that work for me. So, And you can't be good at your job anymore. It's an interview question I ask all the time. I say, what are you reading? And if people aren't reading anything and they don't show some hunger and curiosity in their lives, like if they're not naming podcasts or books or some course they're taking on Coursera or hopefully apolitical, um, I get worried that it won't fit into our culture because if you don't know how to do something, you need to teach yourself. Now, that doesn't work for brain surgery or heart surgery, but for a lot of things, you can at least teach yourself most of the way. Expertise is still really valued, but you can teach yourself a lot. So when you were in school and you graduated from UC Santa Cruz in California, what did you study? What was your major? And did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I had no idea what I was going to do. I studied politics, not political science. I chose that school because we had a very open, very multidisciplinary syllabus. So just where you took your courses from. Angela Davis taught history of consciousness. There was a strong psychology program, a strong environmental program, gender studies program. It was very contemporary in how I saw the world. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I've never worried about what I was going to do with my career. I just kept doing things that I loved. I just kept doing things that I loved. And I've made money along the way doing that. Someone's always paid me. And it's so nice because I remember even my first job, I couldn't believe that I got a 
got paid to do it. It's like, wow, I love it. It's fun. I'm making a difference and people pay me. This is so cool. So I've been so very, very lucky it? that way. What was that first um, job and how did you get it? I kind of, I've always worked always. I, everything from basketball referee to, you know, serving tacos at our local Mexican restaurant. I've always wanted to work and had to work. And I like being busy. It's funny, the older I am, the less busy I like, but I definitely like being busy. The first really meaningful job I had was I got very lucky and I got chosen to work at a leadership training institute in Washington state in the city of Seattle, which is where I'm from. And I got to get paid to grow my leadership skills and meet the most extraordinary people who were building Microsoft and Boeing and Amazon, all these companies. And we're all doing it with a very social lens. I sat next to Bill Gates' father I'm learning about servant leadership and community service and financial planning. And I got very lucky. And I was tapped from that job to go into my first government job, which was a special assistant to a city council member. So I, I just got very... And I, I didn't go into that leadership job to be tapped to go into this next job. Like just doors kept opening up because I was open to it and very present. And I was excellent, hopefully, at what I did. And, and I kept being tapped for jobs. I've been really lucky in that path and worked hard, frankly. Absolutely. No doubt. You do not achieve what you've achieved without working hard and being excellent at what you do. One of those places that you worked where you spent almost 13 years in different roles was Fenton Communications, which describes itself as communications experts and strategists for social change. And their clients include foundations, nonprofits, and various brands taking on the world's toughest challenges in human rights, social and economic justice, environment, education, and public health. What did you learn working at Fenton that has helped to influence what you're doing today, Lisa? I want to emphasize that you and I have both been using hard work a lot. And I just definitely want to say that on the wall backwards, as you enter my house, there's, there's a mirror that you can look at yourself as you put on your shoes and jacket, whatever. And backwards on the wall that reflects forward in my mirror, it says, be kind, work hard and have fun. That's the mantra of my family. It's the mantra of my life. And every single day I've had fun with what I'm doing. So it's that blending of that kindness and hard work and fun that's been the fuel. I mean, is the fuel to, to the work I'm doing. So there's a lot of fun. I'm known to dance on tables and be the last person to, to close the bar, to close the bar and also be the first person to open the door for someone in the morning with a, some fresh croissants and coffee. So I, I just really believe in that, just being present and loving and kind as much as you can as we, as we do this hard work. My path to, to FET was pretty interesting, Andrea, because again, remember I graduated from college, didn't know what I was going to do. One thing led to another. And it became very clear to me as I was running political campaigns, I was in government, that it's not the best ideas that win or the best people that win. It's the best sold people and ideas. And I was like, that's crazy. You know, how come in our lives we're so good at selling diamonds and Coca-Cola, things neither, <laughs> neither are needed, but we're not good at selling healthcare or environmental policy or ending child abuse. And so I really, as an autodidact, wanted to learn how to use communications to advance policy. And that's what really brought me um, to Fenton. It was an opportunity to David Fenton, who is a founder, who's one of my best friends and was my business partner. He got that message a long time ago during the anti-war movement. And I wanted to come and join him and work on all the issues I cared about. And we did. And for 13 years, plus my heart is still definitely with them. I got to work on Al Gore's PowerPoint that then became the inconvenient 
truth, I got to work with two African women who well know about Peace Prize winners on ending violence, conflict, environmental movements, you name it. We got to work on some of the most important issues of our time. And I learned a lot about and I self-taught myself while I was there, just a bit a lot about how to use the media, a lot on cognitive science and linguistics at Fenton. I worked very closely with one of my now mentors, a guy named George Lakoff, who's a professor at UC Berkeley on the role of language and framing. And I taught every single thing I learned to apolitical. And I decided I wanted to move on from that work because I could feel I was sitting at a dinner party with a guy named Bill Moyers. And many of your listeners may not know him, but I'm sure you do, Andrea. He's kind of the god, one of the godfathers of media, public media in America. And he said, Lisa, once the American citizens have swallowed this pill of cynicism, you can never come back. And I started getting worried that people kept saying, government's broken, politicians suck, public servants are lazy. And I was like, whoa, like I know great politicians. I know great public servants. And politics only sucks if we let it suck. Like we are the people. Like government is us. Like we are politics. And I had this vision that I wanted to talk about what is working. I wanted to change the norm that everything is horrible. And this is why I like Steven Pinker's work so much and why I think he likes our work so much and why he's an advisor is there's so much working And if we don't talk about what's working, we don't hold up those great people on politics and government, then it's just going to be this downward spiral. And so I've brought those lessons that I've learned in those conversations I've had with Bill Moyers and Ariana Huffington and Steven Pinker and, you know, Al Gore and Wangari Mitha. All of that is poured deeply into the bones of what is apolitical. I think that's such an important takeaway Because no matter where our listeners go, whether it be on-campus jobs after they graduate, the different connections that they're making in their professional lives within their companies, within their organizations, and outside, that's like fairy dust that's been sprinkled on you. Don't brush it off. Like it's gonna help you as you progress in your career. Sure, you're burnishing hard skills and soft skills, but they're also these intangibles that you take away from all different experiences that you have over the course of your career. And I think, Lisa, that was just a classic example of how it has kind of leveled you up to the point where it's the sum of all the parts that is making a political what it is today. So two final time for coffee questions. Can you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? Maybe you even failed at one time or another in my personal experience and and now frankly having interviewed hundreds of professionals on time for coffee, failure The actual experience of failing has proven to be a blessing in disguise, helping us to find our purpose in life. Is there a story, Lisa, that you could share with our audience that touches on this? Oh, yeah. I have so many. It's so hard to sort through which ones. I don't look to have failure, but I've definitely had a lot of it. Although it's interesting, I've had to go through and remind myself that they were failures. And that's not because I'm afraid of failing. I just, I learn from them so quickly often that they don't feel like failures anymore. So I want to tell you about 
one that was monumental failure. <laughs> I say monumental, it was on national television. So when I started my career, early days, I was working on a campaign to stop the privatization of Social Security. This was during the Gore v. Bush election. Social Security was one of those issues that we knew would get older voters out because the Bush administration was suggesting privatizing Social Security. And policy position that I took with others at the time was that the stock market's fine, but we shouldn't put all of our retirement eggs into the same basket. And I was going on TV quite often, and I was up against folks like Kelly and Conway really interesting on TV, sort of debating. And I noticed that when I was on TV, that it was mostly just men on TV, except for like a couple of us. So I said, and I was a bit angrier. I was like, why don't you have more women on TV? And they said, because women don't promote themselves the way men do on TV. And I said, really? And I said, if I built a database of women spokespeople, would you use them on TV? They said, oh my God, that would be so great. We would love that. So myself and a woman named Marie Wilson and another woman named Chris Grom, the White House Project Women's Funding Network, we came together with Fenton. We built something called SheSource, online database for television journalists to source diverse women's voices on policy and political topics. Fast forward, I get a call. Lisa, we've been using SheSource, but we can't find anyone to do the show. And I'm like, oh, what is it? Oh, we want someone, a woman to run for president on a reality TV show. And I said, well, they're probably not stupid. That's why they're all saying no to you. Who would run for president on a reality TV show? And they said, well, it's really important. Pop culture really drives political things. We really want a woman to do it. And if we don't have a woman, imagine what that says to women around the world, that women aren't running for president on TV. Go ask your mentors. So I went and talked to all my mentors. Should I run for president on a reality TV show? Like I'm a serious person, really believes in government and politics. And they all said categorically, want to guess? Yes. Running for president on a reality TV show is an excellent way to make a name for yourself in America. And I said, oh, my Lord. Okay. So to make a very long story short, I was on Ran for President on a reality TV show. I was a very serious person. I made speeches and kissed babies and talked about the war and gender equality and had focus groups. And Frank Luntz was my political consultant. And, you know, all of these really amazing things. This was during the Kerry election. And I lost. I made, I came in third. I made two strategic, I made one strategic mistake. I mean, here I was on national television with, I felt at the time, a lot at stake. And I lost millions of people watching all the time. And I learned so much from that. It is very hard to take humiliation at such that dose. And I said to myself, oh my God, that must be what real politics is like. I learned to care less about what people said or thought about me, which I think is one of the hardest things in your life, particularly as a woman, but as a person in general, like, why are you doing things? Like I kept my dignity. I never went against any of my principles and values. It's probably what costs cost the campaign. And I learned that I could take big risks and a million other things that's really, really helped me double down on wanting to help make politics better. I run and have been running political training institutes for 25 years, trying to track and equip the best people who care to run for politics. And I will always do that in some way. So take big chances, fail miserably big, but do it with honor. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story, Lisa. I guess I'm curious, who beat you and how long was the campaign? It was, um, I think, over the course of six months. And the guy who won was a Christian 
far right conservative and the right really organized voting. And I think the left or the Democrats were focused on the real campaign. They're all really nice people. And then I lost the second place, went to another progressive Democratic woman that I had kept on the campaign because I thought her her voice and her values were really important. Over drink sometime, Andrea, over drink so we can go into that. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say it definitely, for me at least, falls into the category of so amazing that you did that and experienced it. And I have no doubt unbelievable takeaways that you got from that six-month experience. So fun. You know what I love most? Oh, sorry, Can go I ahead. tell you what I, what I love most about it is how much I loved being on the streets, talking to people about what sort of America they wanted. And you know what most of them said to me? They said two things. They said, I want a fairer America. I don't mind if people are rich. I don't mind if companies do well. But I, I just want the basics of our lives. I want it to be a bit more fair. I think that companies shouldn't have offshore tax shelters if I have to pay my, my taxes. And they said, I just want people to come and listen, really listen to me. Thank you for listening to me, Lisa. I'd have to remind them that I w- wasn't really running for president. But there's such a hunger all around the world, I see it, for people wanting authentic connection to power. And it's with humility that our politicians have to get out on the street and really learn how to listen, deeply learn how to listen. And it's quite interesting that apolitical, one of the topics that public servants want to learn the most, the skill they want to learn most is communications, which means both listening and communicating back and forth. And the second is citizen engagement. In today's day, with all this internet and technology, it's a tool. But but what you have to do with policymaking is put people at the center. And I just, it, it's just such a personal experience about why that's important. That's translated into the bones of our company, that people-centered approach. Mm. Well, I have a hunch that you've just inspired a whole bunch of folks to get into politics. So good I on so. Good on you. I hope so. It's an amazing thing. Final time for coffee question. If you could go back to college, Lisa, back to UC Santa Cruz and do it all over again, but based on the immense wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? In general, Andrea, I don't go back. I just keep moving forward. I loved my time and my experience at my school knowing now what I wish what I wish I would have done. I wouldn't have studied politics. I actually would have done either something weirder, like history of consciousness. I really look for weird resumes, and I don't know how much you can learn from politics, frankly. And or I would have studied psychology, because I find in the work that we do, the really people-centered work, which are the skills that you need in life now going forward, all the research is showing the future of work. I've taught myself, I'm an autodidact, I've taught myself a lot of that, but I would have studied the human-centered, the science of the human-centered skills a bit more. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And P.S. to our listeners, those subjects, those majors are useful in a bazillion different career choices. So I'll be having more on that in the months to come. Please take 30 seconds, my friends, to sign up 
for Apolitical's weekly briefing. It's at www.apolitical.co.co. It is a free weekly briefing featuring the most interesting, important, and funny summaries of public service innovation stories from around the world. Lisa, you are such an extraordinary woman. I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. And I can't wait for your next self-help book because I kind of feel like the world needs that too. Thanks. And Andrea, could I ask for all the listeners, if they have someone who works in government and politics in their life to forward on that weekly briefing, we are going to make the world a better place by supporting the great people inside of government. And my real hats off to those people who have chosen politics and public service as a way to do it. We're always looking for great talent. My inbox is open and looking forward to connections and ideas. And what email address should they send that to if they want to reach out to you, Lisa? Yeah, please reach out to me. I'm at lisa.witter at apolitical.co or I'm at Lisa M. Witter on Twitter. Super active on Twitter. You can follow some of the awesome things we're doing at Apolitical, boot camps we have, talks. I come to the U.S. quite regularly. So I'd love to stay in touch with your audience. It'd be great. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.